What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I'll be answering 9 valuable subscriber questions which cover a bunch of investing and finance topics such as why I don't invest in QILD, what prices do I think some of my favorite dividend stocks are actually worth, and questions like what do I think about the meme stocks like AMC and GME. If you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing questions and answers video, then follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and DM me your questions. If you do send me a question, then please tell me if you don't want your full name shared, otherwise I'll assume it's okay to share it in my videos. Finally, please consider hitting the thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Come on, is that too much to ask for free entertainment? Don't be a Grinch. My first of nine questions comes from Jin who asked, why don't you invest in QILD? You can get 200k a year with your portfolio. Hey Jen, great question and thanks. My TLDR on QILD is that if you're in retirement, then I feel it could make a sense of part of your overall retirement income, but if you aren't in retirement, then I don't think it makes sense for a variety of reasons. QILD is a monthly paying ETF that has a huge yield, something insane around 12%. It's the Global X NASDAQ 100 Covered Call ETF, which seeks to generate income through covered call writing. QLD's fund managers make money by selling options, aka calls and puts, on the NASDAQ 100, which are the largest 100 companies on the NASDAQ. Generally speaking, the more volatile the NASDAQ is, the larger the premium they should receive, and they do their trades in the beginning of every month and they pay out every month. So the top 100 NASDAQ companies are pretty solid overall. So that all sounds awesome, what's the downside? Well, I pulled this data from Dividend Channel's Total Return Strip Calculator, which estimates if you had invested $10,000 into QILD when it came into existence about 7 years ago, versus if you had put money into the S&P 500. This includes all dividends paid out and reinvested back. Over this time frame, we see that QILD's average annual return, including dividends, was 8.17%, as compared to SPY, which was 14.5%. So in 7.5 years, your 10k in QILD would have turned into 18k, but 10k into the S&P 500 would have turned into 27.8k. The total returns I've gotten from owning companies like Microsoft and Apple have significantly outperformed QILD returns, thus that's one of the reasons I don't go with QILD. Of course, it's a huge benefit to get ongoing income like QILDs versus stock appreciation. Another reason I don't go with QILD is that the amount of income I'm getting from my dividends more than covers my needs right now, so instead of having QILD I get the benefits of faster stock appreciation, faster dividend growth, no return on capital, no expense ratios, and an investment which I think will be better for my kids. Return on capital, aka ROC, is sometimes called a non-dividend distribution, which is when a fund returns a portion of an investor's original investment back to them, which lowers their tax basis as they get it. I read that QILD was 100% return on capital in 2020 and about 15% in 2019. So if their holdings go down or maybe if they sell for a loss or whatever, then using ROC to cover the distribution seems to be what they do. To explain ROC a bit more, imagine you gave me $12,000 and I said I would give you $100 a month of your money back to you, money which you are already taxed on. As I give it back to you, you obviously don't need to be taxed on it again, and eventually after 10 years you would get back your original 12000 and then at that point your cost basis is zero, so all future gains, whether they're from me continuing to give you $100 a month, or if you sold it, would be fully taxed. However, you still have your investment which should keep paying you as long as I'm doing my job. The benefit I get as a fund manager was from a lump sum cash infusion that you put in, along with the fee I get for my efforts to keep generating cash for you. So if the QILD managers don't make enough of a return from their options plays and whatever else brings in cash, then to keep paying out a high percentage they also hand back some of your original investment back to you. As long as new investors keep coming in then they'll always have more cash to be able to pay back, beyond their normal option plays and such, 
and it's something to be aware of. I guess in theory if they weren't getting new investors and they weren't making enough premium, then eventually they would lower their payout to whatever level they could sustain, though maybe that's not too likely or realistic a scenario. Anyways, if my kids asked me if they should invest in something like a QILD, I'd say no. However, if they needed income to live on now and their current investments couldn't provide enough, then using a portion of their investments as QILD or JEPI or whatever could make more sense. I'm not sure about this, but I think if the market crashes, then I think QILD's dividend payout would also go down as the fund's net asset value goes down. Compare that to my portfolio of dividend stocks, which has had its dividend income go up even during crashes. Also, QILD's payout slightly changes month to month, whereas mine is less volatile, generally only going up, and I prefer the latter. Another option to be aware of is NUSI, which pays out less but also gives you some additional downside protection, which is more valuable now given the ongoing likelihood of a crash happening. I wish NUSI had more volume and had a longer history, but it is what it is, and I personally wouldn't recommend my kids invest in it either. However, if my dividends didn't yield me enough to be retired, then I might look to supplement things with JEPI or QILD or something. So bottom line, I wouldn't say QILD is a good or bad investment. I'd just say you need to evaluate if it makes sense for your needs given your risk profile and your belief in it in the future. Okay, let's move on. My second of nine questions comes from Active and Attractive who asked, Is it better to buy shares or fractional shares when I don't have much money to build a dividend portfolio? I've watched all your videos and you've changed my life and the way I see things. I know you're probably busy, but if you see this, I'd love to know. I can buy maybe one share a week or put 20 bucks in five. Which is better? Hey dude, thanks for the compliment, it really means a lot to me. I believe in the power of dividend investing so much that I love spreading the word to show people how powerful and literally life-changing it becomes to be able to own companies, and then as an owner you get to be paid some of their profits. Amazing. Last week highlighted another example of why I love dividends. Most of the big banks announced some hefty dividend increases. I saw someone on Twitter that said that banks only pay 0.01% savings rate, but they charge 20% on credit card interest rates. So while some people see a statement like that and get mad, I see it and think they sound like a good investment. Thus, my advice to people is to be someone who accumulates cash flowing assets, not someone who accumulates that new watch or purse or whatever. I was walking through Costco yesterday and my wife saw this shiny diamond ring and she made this pretty please eyes on me. And I was like, no to the ring, but if you want to invest in Costco, we can do that. I know, I'm mean. Anyways, so your first question was, is it better to buy shares or fractional shares? I'd say either will probably be fine. Honestly, it's more important to focus on consistently investing in a diversified portfolio of stocks than it is to focus on whether you should buy full shares or fractional shares. Of course, the beauty of fractional shares is that it lets you invest when you have any amount of cash, rather than when you have enough for a full share. Now for your second question about which is better, then I would say putting 20 bucks into 5 stocks is probably a safer bet than putting $20 into 1, but either can be fine. It depends on the stocks and their prices and such. It also depends on what motivates you. Maybe you get motivated by owning certain milestone amounts of shares, like 10 or 100 or something. In that case, it can be good to invest in a way that will keep you in the game, even when the market crashes. I usually like to invest in things when they're cheap, and if you want to learn about how to determine when a stock is overpriced, I recommend that you watch a video about how to calculate discounted cash flows of a company over on the Learn to Invest channel. That's the guy who starts his videos saying, Hi, I'm Jimmy. Discounted cash flows are a way to value a stock. If you don't want to learn about valuing stocks, then another option is just to keep dollar cost averaging into an inexpensive broad market ETF like BTI or VU. So hopefully that answered your question. Let's move on. My third of nine questions comes from Joe who asked, Thank you for inspiring us. Who influenced you to invest in dividends? Maybe you have a video on this? Thanks again. Hey Joe, you're most welcome and thank you for the kind words. 
The main person I attribute with getting me to invest in the stock market was a kind coworker at my very first job out of college when I was 21, who told me to sign up at the company 401k. In addition to him were other programmer friends at that first job who always talked about investing in stocks during our lunch breaks, and they also helped me get into investing. Then as I got more and more into it, I eventually formed an investing company with some friends where we analyzed and invested in stocks. It was basically an investing club, but we legally formed it into a company since money was involved. We had some dividend stocks in our club's portfolio, but those stocks never motivated me as much as growth did, because tech growth was making much bigger gains in the 90s. But after the gut punch of the dot-com crash, I started favoring less volatility and less stress, and I ultimately found that I liked dividends the most. Which reminds me, I was reading some old emails in an account I've had for decades, and I stumbled on an email from 2005 where I was talking about dividends with a family member. Fun stuff. I hope I'm still talking about dividends in another 16 years from now. Okay, let's move on. My fourth of nine questions comes from Overnight Growth, who asked, Question about your target price on the sheet. What actions do you take when your stock in question hits the target price? Do you sell or simply stop buying and hold forever until it drops below the target price again? What's the strategy? Hey dude, so I think you're talking about a recent video of mine where I was showing my target prices. Anyways, I rarely sell. I actually did an entire video called When to Sell a Stock, and I'd recommend you watch that if you want to hear why and when I'd sell. In terms of buying stocks, well, I'm now at a point where I'm actually living on my dividends to pay my expenses, so I'm no longer dripping them, nor am I currently buying lots of new dividend stocks. I'd probably only do a cash investment into my dividend portfolio if I sold some of my growth or crypto portfolios, or if I sold my house or something. However, if I was investing, then I'd tend to invest in stocks when they're below my target price, assuming they fit my portfolio's needs. Okay, let's continue. My fifth of nine questions comes from Tango Echo Alpha, who asked the following question, which I'll summarize. If a company you invested in asked you to do something for them, and for your time they would pay you in their stock, which of those companies would you want that to be and why? He said for him personally he would want either AMD or Disney to offer him that deal. Thanks Tango. So I'm actually doing some fun stuff for a startup right now that is paying me in shares of their company instead of paying me cash for my time, but they're still private. Anyways, I'd be open to that offer from most of the companies I own, though if I had to name some then it would be the ones that my kids recognize the most, like Apple or Microsoft McDonald's or something. Or maybe I'd go with my wife's favorite, which is realty income. I think their monthly income is very yummy to her. Okay, let's move on. The sixth question comes from Toril, who chatted about a few things and then said, I wanted to know if you're putting any of your higher risk dollars into meme stocks. Is it possible some of those businesses might turn around? Thanks. Hey Toril, thanks for your question. For reference, the meme stocks are public companies like AMC or GME, which get hyped up over the internet to the point where there are massive spikes in prices seemingly not in line with their underlying fundamentals. So it looks like prices are pushed by normal retail investors who are in essence trying to work together to force big institutions to get out of their short positions, creating a snowball effect. Anyways, no, I'm not putting any of my money into meme stocks. Is it possible that GameStop or AMC theaters might turn things around and turn into growth machines spewing out cash? Sure, it's possible. The question you need to ask yourself though is, is it probable? Who knows, maybe their management will be able to capitalize enough on these big price swings and then invest in such a way that things turn out great for them. I hope that's the case, but I'm not interested in them enough to bet my money on them. I'm someone who focuses primarily on boring, slow and steady investments, companies which have a strong tendency to trend up over time, rather than be someone who focuses on huge returns or nothing. I usually like to root for people rather than against people, so bottom line I hope that whoever puts money into AMC or GME, or whatever, ends up making money. Okay, let's move on. My seventh of nine questions is from Arnie. 
Arnie shared a few things that I'm not going to include, but his last question was, and finally we have just had a child, our first and only so far, and I was wondering what you would do differently right after your first child was born, if you could go back in time. Hey Arnie, congratulations, I'm really happy for you guys. I think the main things I would do would be to live more frugally as well as invest more. Everyone says this and it's true. Really be present and appreciate all the times you have with your kids, even when you're up at 2am because they're crying and can't sleep. Even when they spit up on your new suit before your first day on a new job. Honestly, who wants to wear a suit anyways? I'd also research 529 plans and or custodial brokerage accounts for your kids, and or have a plan that will enable your investments to help pay for your kids' college, if they end up going. Also, utilize Roth retirement accounts if you can. Make sure that your expenses are growing slower than your incomes, and keep driving more money into your investments, i.e. keep planting those cash trees. Beyond making sure your financial outlook keeps improving, also put some energy to ensure your relationships keep growing. And work out and eat right to ensure your health remains good. Those are all the things I would do more of, if I could go back in time. That and throw a few bucks at Bitcoin when it was under a dollar, or at least Apple. Okay, moving on. My eighth of nine questions comes from Joel who asked, What are your top three or four most favorite dividend stocks and at what prices would you recommend people buy them at? Hey Joel, I'll tell you what prices I think are good, but as always don't listen to some random person on YouTube for financial advice. So my all-time favorite dividend stocks are Apple, Microsoft, J&J, and McDonald's. I'd like to see Apple under $100 to get excited, which is quite a drop from where it currently is, but I feel it's overvalued right now. I love Apple, it's my favorite stock and company, and it's very possible that Apple will keep running hot for years to come, but I feel it's overpriced. Remember though, I sat on the sidelines for years watching Apple run, so what do I know? I'm really hoping that Apple can execute on bringing an awesome next-generation electrical vehicle to the market, because I could see that enabling the stock to go even higher. It'd be cool if they partnered with another strong brand like BMW or Mercedes or something. In terms of Microsoft, I'd say under 175. Again, I love Microsoft, but I think their day of price reckoning will come. Whether that's today or 10 years from now, I have no idea. For J&J, I'd like to see them under 150, but honestly, they're at a price that probably is only a tad over what I think they're worth. For McDonald's, I'd also like to see them under 150. Those are all big discounts from where they are today, and the market does put a premium on those companies, so I also would not be surprised if they continue trading above what I feel they're worth right now. Okay, let's move on to my last question. This one comes from an email exchange I was having with a subscriber named Caden who asked me, what sort of goals do you think are good to set for someone who is new to investing? So when I set goals, I often break things down into process goals and outcome goals, as both help me achieve what I want to accomplish. For example, let's say that you weigh 220 pounds and you want to weigh 200. Getting to 200 pounds is what I'd call an outcome goal. Another outcome goal might be losing 2 pounds a week. To achieve those outcomes, you have a process goal of walking 30 minutes a day or of using an elliptical or whatever. Process goals are things you do to achieve an outcome, and often are things that change your day-to-day -day habits, as you need to change your habits if you want long-term results. Another process goal to help you lose weight might be to eat healthier, eat less carbs, have more servings of vegetables, or to stop eating that bowl of ice cream after dinner. So apply process and outcome goals to investing. I'd say a good goal is to make $1,000 a year in dividend income, which means that you need to have a portfolio of about $25,000. I.e. you take your annual dividend income of $1,000 and divide it by what you think a realistic portfolio yield would be, so let's use 4%, and 1,000 divided by 0.04 equals 25,000, which means if you had a $25,000 portfolio at an average weighted dividend yield of 4%, then it would make about $1,000 a year. To build a $25,000 portfolio, you live frugally, which is part of your daily process, which might include not eating out or not getting that new Xbox game or whatever. You'd also have goals to invest a certain amount of money each month, maybe 200 bucks or something. 
I think those are all goals that are realistic and achievable for someone who is new to investing, though obviously you adjust the amounts and such based on your personal situation. The key is to set goals as well as slowly changing your habits until they're just part of your daily lifestyle, whether that's working out, eating right, investing, or whatever. Now and then you'll screw up your goals and that's okay and that's human, just don't give up. Now I'd like to shout out my latest Patreon of Risk Rats who have recently signed up. So thank you Frankly Proven, thank you Chivas, thank you Lewis Simon, thank you Edmund Dantes, thank you Melody, and thank you Chris J. As an Aristocrat, they gain access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet and to multiple private channels on my Discord, including one where I let people watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as I often let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos. And since you watched this video all the way to the end, I'll tell you a funny. Did you hear that Batman invited all the superheroes out to an evening discussing Bitcoin investments? Superman didn't go because it was a crypto night. <laughs> oh, that hit the spot. If you appreciate terrible humor like that, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also, if you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing Questions and Answers video, then follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and DM your questions. Remember, tell me to hide any of your Instagram info if you don't want me to share something, otherwise I'll probably show everything. If you've never used my M1 referral link in the description of this video and you don't have an account with them, then don't forget to click on my link and see if you meet the requirements for a free $30. Also, please consider clicking on my Amazon affiliate link in the description of this video, and then go shopping online. As an Amazon associate, I earned from qualifying purchases, and it doesn't cost you anything. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it and it's growing all the time. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.